Amen. Over a grove 2,000 years ago, a revolution was born. A revolution made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. A revolution of self-denying, spirit-empowered disciples who were known and not for a casual association with Christ and his church, but instead were known for complete and total abandonment to him and to his cause. And abandonment that, that unleashed a, a, a new brand of joy, of love and hope and freedom that changed the world forever. And, and though, they, though they faced untold trials and unthinkable persecution, uh, they experienced unimaginable joy as they joined Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom on this earth. And it all began when a small group of 12 guys said yes to a life-changing invitation from Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in the days, weeks, and months to come, these men, they watched Jesus, and they listened to him, and they learned from Jesus how to love and how to live and how to serve others the exact same way that he did. And then came that moment when they saw him die on, on the cross for their sins and only to rise again three days later from the grave. And shortly after this, Jesus gathered his guys on, on top of a mountain and he, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus left them, and they stayed in Jerusalem meeting and praying with the group of about 120 people waiting for his spirit to fall on them with power and true to his promise. Jesus sent his spirit and immediately they began proclaiming the good news about him. And in the days, weeks, and months to come, they scattered from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, forming a community of believers that turned the world upside down literally bringing down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. Uh, understand, understand, this church, these people were radically devoted to God and his word. Uh, whatever God told them to do, they did. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing. Wherever God told them to go, they went. And when the government told them to stop talking about Jesus or die, they literally chose death and thousands died. This church, these people, loved each other in radical kinds of ways. Uh, they took off their masks and they shared together. An authentic community, they laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together. Uh, those who had more shared with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers just melted away. And, and, and people related to one another in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that, that this community of believers, this church, offered believers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. I mean, it was so bold, so creative, so courageous, so dynamic that they could not resist. And Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Yes, a revolution was born 2,000 years ago. Made up of everyday people like you, like you, like you, like you, and like me, who passionately believe in the message of Jesus. And who, as we read in Acts chapter 5, who filled the, the streets of Jerusalem, the streets of their city, with the good news about him. Luke records these words in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. I read it this week. They're arrested, and the Jewish leaders are all ticked off at them. You have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Amen. That's a revolution, right? You filled the whole city. Everywhere we go, we keep hearing about this guy we tried to kill who won't just stay dead. In his book, his study in the book of Acts, a guy named Gordon Ferguson writes this, and I've always loved this quote. A revolution can be defined as a sudden or momentous change in a situation. The book of Acts describes a revolution. Not one advanced by carnal means of physical birth, but one accomplished by righteous means of powerful spiritual forces. Uh, the source of this spiritual and moral revolution is what Jesus called the seed of the kingdom. And when the seed is planted and watered today, it has the power to ignite a worldwide revolution again, just as it did in the days of the apostles. Acts is history, but it's also far more than history. It's the story of how God dramatically changes the lives of those who make Jesus their Lord. It's a story waiting to be relived again and again and again and again and again and again and again by idealistic, faithful men and women who dare to follow the world's greatest revolutionary. Maple Grove, welcome to his church. Let's pray. Palms open if you so desire, ready, ready to receive from God. God, we love you. No one like you. You are the fount of every blessing that we have. And God, there's a whole lot more than 10,000 reasons to praise you. And, and we'll be in eternity a whole lot longer than 10,000 years. And God, it's a joy and a privilege to be your people. Holy Spirit, as you fell upon your church, in the book of Acts, I pray you fall upon us today. You're the same spirit. You have the same power. You have the same desire. You have the same purpose. You long to do now what you did then. And, and I pray, God, that you just find open hearts and men and women, young and old, rich or poor, in this place, God, that we're willing to lay down our lives and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maple Grove, God, the one true, almighty, always existing, creator of everything, king of glory, God, is on the move in this place. Can you feel it? Isaiah writes in Isaiah 43, this is what the Lord says, he who made a, a way through the sea, a, a path through the mighty waters, who, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, the people I formed for myself. Why? So that they may proclaim 
my praise. Listen, there's no doubt about it. God is on the move. God is doing a new thing. And we are on the edge of becoming the church and the people that God has called us to be. I understand in so many ways we are we're like God's people, the Israelites were in Joshua chapter 1. After 400 years of slavery and bondage, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, after years of challenges and victories and defeats and setbacks, they were camped on the east side of the Jordan River. I mean, they were a mere river away from the land that God promised them 600 years earlier. And understand, though they, they were not sure how or when those waters were part, they knew that now was the time for them to leave where they were to go to the place that God had always intended for them to be. And in like manner, we too are camped on the east side of a river, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, our spiritual Jordan, if you will. You see, the, the stage has been set for us to cross over and live in the land, become more fully the people that God intends for us to be. And the script that God has written for us is one of faith and courage, conquest and victory. And we right now are standing right on the edge of it. And now throughout the pages of Scripture, we see God's people both individually and collectively standing on the edge. I mean, time and time again, God's people found themselves standing at the crossroads of a decision, a decision that would either move them forward or take them reeling backwards. One day, a husband and a wife were standing on the edge, and they stood before a tree in a beautiful garden. The decision they faced was, will I obey God? Will I trust God? Or will I take a bite of the forbidden fruit? It was to be Adam and Eve's defining moment. Centuries later, a, a man was standing on the edge in the middle of a desert with a, holding a hammer in his hand and cypress wood under his arm. Will I obey God? Do I, do I trust God? Do I fear him? Well, I build this massive boat in the middle of a desert to save my family from raining flood, things I've never seen before, or I put down the wood and the hammer, turn and walk the other way. Genesis 12, a man named Abraham stood on the edge. Will I obey God? Will I trust him? Will I, will I leave my family? Will I leave my country, my home, my possessions, my way of life? Will I leave all I know, hold on to, and trust, and go out into the unknown with and for God? Or will I pretend I... I didn't hear his call, I didn't hear his voice, and go on living life as I always have. Abraham was on the edge. And one hot day in the middle of the desert, an 80-year-old man wearing sandals and holding a staff stood on the edge before a burning bush. You see, for 40 years, Moses had been hiding from his past and running from his future out in that barren wilderness, living a life that was far below the life that God had had for him. And now the voice from within that bush calls out to him, not only to go back and face his past, but to deliver a couple million people from slavery. His reaction, I can't go back. I can't face him. I can't stand before Pharaoh. I don't want to do this. Please send someone else. And again, in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua and God's people were standing on the edge between victory and defeat, freedom and fear, moving forward or moving backwards, and all that stood between them was a river. And listen, 
being on the edge it means that we can no longer stay where we are and we can no longer be who we are. You see, being on the edge forces us to make a decision between moving forward or retreating, choosing will we be gripped by fear or freedom, comfort or courage. Now, now I could stand up here all morning and talk about all the countless snapshots of God's people standing on the edge, snapshots of David and Gideon and Ruth and Esther and Jonathan and Paul and Daniel, but I think you get my point. God's people oftentimes find themselves on the very edge of becoming all that he intends and has called them to be. Okay, so why all this being on the edge talk this morning? Because that's where we are. That's where we, God's people, at 3210 Prophet Road are at this very moment, both individually and as a church. And listen, the countless people have gone before us, I mean, and listen, just like the countless people have gone on before us in the coming days, weeks, and months, we will find ourselves either moving forwards or reeling backwards. Maple Grove, welcome to church, welcome to pursue. This morning, we roll out our, our three-year strategic plan, a plan that is centered on and, and propelled by one word, the word pursue, a word that means to strive, to gain, to seek, to attain or accomplish an end, object, or purpose, a word that means to chase after something or someone in order to catch them, pursue. Man, I love that word. And, and listen, we're not pursuing our wants, our desires, our ways, our agendas. Instead, we're pursuing his honor, his glory, and the spread and advancement of his kingdom so that the words and teaching of Jesus, so that the good news of Jesus will fill the streets of Charlottesville and beyond. And I think we all would agree, right, that our dark, broken, hurting, fragile world really needs this good news. Amen, Amen Gail? They need it. They need what we have. And, and we chose a three-year time frame for a specific reason because that was the length of Jesus' ministry, right? From the time he was baptized to the time he died, it was three years. And that night in the garden, the night before his death, Jesus prayed this prayer. I have brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do. Understand, Jesus finished everything God set out for him to do in those three years. Question, what would that look like for us, for you, for this church? I mean, what if Maple Grove only had three years left, and then for whatever reasons, Maple Grove was gone? Question, during those three years, what should be, what must be the focus of our attention? I mean, what would God want us to accomplish so that we could say to him on October the 12th, 2017, when those three years are up, Father, we brought you glory by completing the work you gave us to do. Well, since the fall of 2013, close to 30 people, including elders, staff, and 
and other members have been intentionally involved in determining where we are as a church and where we need to head as a church. In November 2013, as you know, we developed our, 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 our new vision, mission, and core value statements. They've been hanging up there for you know, almost an entire year because we rolled those out in January. Oh, in May of this year, you know, um, we met again with our, our coach, um, Gary Johnson from, from Indianapolis, and we had a, 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 our three-year strategic planning meeting. And I put some of those, you know, they look kind of small in here, but they really cover, if you're in a small room, all these, and just kind of, hey, hey, you know, what are we doing good? What are we not doing so good? You know, what's confusing? What's missing? And looking at all these areas, and everybody writes down ideas, and then we, we all kind of vote on what ideas we think are most important. And then teams have been meeting for the last six months talking about this. You know, how, how, can, we, how can we actually do what we say we want to do? Question. Why all of this time, effort, and money? I mean, what led us to this place? Answer, a desire to do more and to be more. To do more for him, to do more for his glory, his honor, his renown. Uh, A desire to become who God wants us to be individually and as a church. And an unwillingness to remain the same, to settle for the status quo, to be okay with just being good enough. And after hours of meetings and conversations, after much prayer and reflection, uh, we, we have identified, you know, three life-impacting targets that are worthy of our full and intentional pursuit during the next three years. Evangelism, discipleship, and compassion. Which makes sense, right? Because that's our mission, right? Our mission is what? Like Jesus, we seek the lost, we make disciples, and we show compassion. And, and I think it's obvious, right, that those three things were very important to Jesus when he wore flesh and walked this planet. Therefore, they should be very important preeminence to us as well. And, and so here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're convinced that as we faithfully pursue these initiatives, evangelism, discipleship, and compassion, we're convinced that we will bring glory to God that we will advance his kingdom and purposes, uh, that we will fill the streets of this city and beyond with the good news about Jesus. We're convinced that we will bring hope to the hopeless, mending to the broken, freedom to the captive, life to the dead, and we're convinced that we will become more fully the people and the church that God has always had in mind. During the next three years, we will pursue, I love that word, we will pursue with great and intentional passion, evangelism, discipleship, and compassion. You know, we, we have three team leaders who are going to come up and, and share, and if I don't have a hot mic for them, someone will bring that up. And I'm sure that none of this is surprising, right? Like, that's not what church is supposed to do, right? Like, okay, you're talking about you guys were playing for a year to figure out that we're supposed to grow in our faith, that we're supposed to share our faith and do nice things for people? Yeah, we did. And <laughs> we're slow learners too. You know, but we know it, right? But the key is intentionality. You know, the key is intentionality. You know, um, you know the beginning of this year, you know, I, I've been hanging out with some guys for a while, but in January, 
I took it to intentionality. I say, hey, I want to intentionally meet with you guys at 6 a.m. every Tuesday morning. <laughs> you know, it was first 545, and, and, you know, and, and for discipleship, you know. And I got to tell you, it, it works both ways. I cannot tell you how many times these guys that I'm supposed to be, like, maybe mentoring them or whatever, how many times these guys lift me up. And I can't tell you how many times, like, every time, none of us want to get up. And none of us really want to be there and drive there that morning. But there's not a time we have left where we haven't said, I am so glad that I came. And so it's not that we don't know these things, but let's be intentional about it, right? You can get a prompting, and maybe you don't listen to it, you know? You know, if you get a prompting to do something, to, to stand back and give the 19th place guy a high five, then, you know, maybe you should wait and give the 19th place runner a high five, right? It's about being intentional about the things you've already have been called to do. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it's a verse we end with every, every week. And there's always a danger in repeating a verse every week. A, if it's on the screen, we think we know it and we don't. Because like one service, I couldn't remember if it was first or second, like the slide didn't come up and we just bumbled around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now to him, Abel, glory. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus, right? Uh, you know. uh, but, but there's a danger of, of it, you know, not thinking about it. But Paul wrote this, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I mean, Maple Grove, try to imagine, <laughs> try to imagine what our more than able God could do in and through us, what our more than able God could do in and through the hundreds of people in this room this morning for his honor and his glory in the next 1,096 days. 2016 is a leap year, okay? Imagine, I mean, just imagine how many people who today are lost and face a crisis eternity could be saved. I mean, just imagine how many believers who are living shallow lives and, and, and become fully devoted followers of Christ. How many acts of compassion from high fives on the playground, right, uh, you know, to, to a, a dinner at Thanksgiving, to a present for, for a child at Christmas time. How many acts of compassion could be poured out into our community and beyond through the next 1,096 days? I mean, imagine, just imagine how many broken hearts, broken homes, broken lives could be put back together again through our, our God, our always able God working through us during the next 1,096 days. I mean, how much darkness, I mean, how much darkness could his light shining through us overcome? Does anybody want to see any of that kind of stuff happening more? I mean, do you, do, do you want to see hundreds of people come to know Christ? I mean, do you want to see people who, who, who Jesus is not just real with them, hang out with Jesus, and even though they're unschooled and ordinary, just have the life they always wanted? Don't we want our community to know that, that you know, all these terrible pictures you see and stereotypes of church are just not true? that we really are the hands and feet of Jesus and we love people and we care about people and we're making a difference, man. You know, that initiative, that, that our new initiative that Gail is heading up, that's what Paul said 
you know, that's what the Bible says pure religion is, right? That's what James said, right? It's, you know, think of the hope we're going to bring in. And not just for the residents. We're, we're, we're going to be there for the staff because what, what a tough job, right? We're going to make a difference. And that's going to be multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. <laughs> and we know that God wants to make it, see it happen. The question is, will it happen? And I will say, it could. It could. In fact, here's the deal. It cannot not happen. I don't know if that's proper, but I'm not good at American either. <laughs> I speak American. You know, it, it, it cannot not happen if something else happens first. Uh, this Friday morning, I woke up thinking about Pursue and about who, who, who not just Maple Grove, but who I could actually become on, by October 12, 2017. And as I opened up my Bible that morning, I, I was reading Luke chapter 4, and I was reminded of the great lie. A, a lie that has kept, a lie that is keeping, and a lie that will keep us from being successful in this pursuit of God, his honor, his glory, his renown, his kingdom. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he, and he said to him, I, I will give you all their authority and splendor that has been given to me, and I will give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan, Luke 4, is lying to Jesus, telling him that he can have it all without what? Without the cross. And he's telling us and has told us the very same lie. And what is the great lie? The great lie, for me personally, is that I can have the life that God wants me to live without the cross. That I can become the man that God wants me to be without dying to myself. That's a lie. What is the great lie? That we, that Maple Grove, become the church God wants her to be without the cross, without dying to ourselves. That's a lie. And what's the great lie? That you. That you can have the life God wants you to live without the cross, without dying to yourself. It's a lie. Now, understand, I cannot pursue God when I'm pursuing me. And neither can anyone else in this room. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple should think about, should hold meetings about, should have Bible studies about, no, <laughs> must. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. You see, cross-carrying and following Jesus are permanently forever tied together. Understand, I cannot follow a self-denying Savior if I am self-centered, self-absorbed, and self-obsessed. If my life is all about me, I, I, I just can't do it. Whoever wants to save his life, live for them, selves will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, will save it. What good is for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Again, the great lie is that we can follow Christ without self-denial. That we can become, that Maple Grove can become the church that God wants us to be. Without self-denial. But if we, if we deny ourselves, Gail, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hey, 
Anybody know what a selfie is? Right? Uh, uh, uh. I took a few this week for a reason. Okay. There. That's the best one I could get. Go back to the other one. I like that one. Is that good? I'm going to put that on our website. Here's our pastor at our church, man. Welcome to Maple Grove. Glad you're here. You know, okay, we, we can switch that. It's bad enough you have to look at it. When I got to look at it, I mean, it's like, there's probably a reason I don't take selfies, you're saying, right? Okay, I got that. But, you know, and I got to be honest, you know, uh, with selfies, and I've been judgmental of selfies. You're like, wow, are these people, they are just so obsessed with themselves. Let me take a picture of myself eating. Here's myself smiling. Here's myself combing my hair. Here's myself taking a picture of myself, taking a picture of myself. Just, you know, and, and, and this week is kind of thinking about selfies for some reason. And, and it was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I may not take selfies, but too often I live a selfie life. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not doing this, taking pictures and posting them on Facebook so you can see what I had for dinner. But too often I live for me. That's my problem. That's your problem. That's the world's problem. It's not a new problem. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit, forfeit your very self. You know, I, I have no idea what all is going to happen in the next 1,096 days. I do know there will be struggles, challenges, difficulties of various shapes and sizes. But, but here's something that hit me Saturday morning. It's this. Whatever the struggle, whatever the challenge, whatever the difficulty, the answer will always be what? It's always the cross. That's it. It, it, The answer is always the cross. The answer will always be to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. You know, there's a, uh, that's a scene from Passion of the Christ. And we're we're, we're about, we really are about done. And and in the scene, you know, he's walking up to the Calvary and he's hugging the cross and some of the thieves mock him. One of my favorite scenes in it. And they go, why do you embrace the cross? You know, I mean, they hate it, what they had to carry. And he seems to be embracing it. And, and, and his mother comes running right after they say that. You know, Mary comes running after him, and she's standing with Jesus. And, you know, and he looks at her and he says, as he holds on to this cross, I am making all things new. Maple Grove, pursue has begun. And, and to keep and, and to keep you know and, and to keep this in front of us we have these reminder bands and you can pick them up in the, the one basket that doesn't look like the other basket, the smaller basket has the bigger ones, you know, the large and, and uh, it's always fun to throw things. Boom! Okay. And, 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 uh, and, and here's the deal, here's the deal. Um, and again, something else hit me. Yeah, I get hit a lot. You know, ideas. That's how I express when ideas hit me. And, 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 and God kind of hit me the other morning. I came in here Saturday for like an hour, headphones on, lights out, worshiping, jumping, shouting. Just, it was kind of silly, but it was worship. And, and, 
and just really, and, and, and what God, as I'm thinking about church, God says, hey, Steve, you know, don't think about, like, where is Maple Grove going to be in this pursuit thing? Yeah, but where are you going to be? Steve, where will you be three years from now as you pursue me? And so as I look at this band every day, I, as you're going to hey, am I pursuing God? You know, how, how will I this day pursue compassion and pursue discipleship and pursue evangelism? You see, for me, uh, this morning, something else hit me, you know, is that you know, for me, today is both an ending and a beginning. It's an, it's a, I'm declaring an ending to living for me in the beginning of becoming the me that God always intended for me to be. Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we come into your presence. We thank you. We worship you. And God, I pray that right now as we sing this song and that we realize that the core, the center thing is you, is Christ, and Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.